Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome back to the screening room, where this week we've got spies and we've got ghosts and we've got two. Count them two movies about phones. <laughs> so all sorts of variety. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. And we've got the new ones in wide release. And we've got some new ones in limited release. And then also, as always, we'll check out what's new on home video, as well as a quick look at what's coming next week. So let's get right to it. The big one this week that we've been looking for, and it's gotten some buzz, especially for one particular scene that we'll talk about. It's a story of an undercover MI6 agent being sent to Berlin during the Cold War to investigate the murder of a fellow agent and recover a missing list of double agents. It's Charlize Theron as Atomic Blonde. I chose this life, and someday it's going to get me killed. Find out who's hunting our operatives and trust no one. The clock is ticking, and everyone you get close to ends up dead. Someone set me up. Someone from the inside. Now, this only ends one way. A bullet. Oh my god, I think I love you. That's too bad. This is one we've been looking forward to. Yeah, and as I mentioned, I think it's no, it was weeks ago, maybe months ago, we saw in one of our local theaters, they had one of those gigantic stand-ups yep. in the lobby, and all of this attention was placed just on one scene. In fact, this stand-up might have had really just one write-up just about this one scene, and I think both of us were like, uh-oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> but the truth is... Is it only one scene? Right, but it's no, a, it's, it's not. It's a great action sequence. It's sort of the pinnacle action sequence in the film, but it's a film absolutely chock full of, yes. of really great, very fun, incredibly well choreographed and executed action bits. Yeah. You know? Um, but that one is, as as you say in your written review, the uh, the coupe de gras, or no, mm -hmm. you called it the, the piece de resistance. Yeah, that's right, the action piece de resistance. Because we speak fluent French. Yeah, we totally do. clear. But uh, <laughs> no, the movie is more than that. I mean, that is the, the topper, but uh, Charlize Theron as... We've mentioned is a, is a badass. She yes, can be she a is. badass. I mean, come on, Furiosa. That's right. From Fury Road. That's right. That's that's all the resume that you need. But she's good in this, and it's it's funny that it happens just when. And I think we talked about this last week. You had those stories where um, Chris Hemsworth was saying that he thought the next James Bond should be Charlize Theron. Right. And this movie is kind of I don't know. Maybe he'd already seen this movie. I don't right. know. That could be. But it's kind of a nod to that because she is an agent, you know, an, an MI6, MI6 agent. agent. Right. And you can definitely see how that that could work. I mean, oh, I, I could be all could. for it. Yeah, she's very because she's just. I mean, she cuts an impressive figure. She she's does. Very cool and sleek and collected and and the movie is set in 1989. Yeah. Berlin. Yeah. So it's just cool. It's just cool. Boots everywhere, like the <laughs> and coolest Bowie. songs. Bowie everywhere. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, it looks great. It's got just a really, just an an awesome vibe. The whole thing and all of the action is so well done and so slick and fun and cool. The story isn't great. Well, that's the thing. It it needs all these other things because let's face it, it's got a story taken from a million other spy movies where you've got this stolen list that yeah. will uncover all the undercover agents and that list has to cannot get into the wrong hands and oh maybe it's going to be sold i mean that i think the first mission impossible movie 
that was the plot. Yeah, it's, it's been used many times, so yeah. there's nothing new. Oh, and the first thing you think of is, who's keeping a list of double agents? Right. I mean, right. that seems like a bad idea. And not only that, but as it goes farther along, some of the other characters that come in make some questionable choices for secret agents, <sighs> and some of the plot turns seem overly convenient. Yeah. But... The good news is this movie has a lot of other things going for it that can really go a long way toward making up for that and making it worth seeing. Not only do you have Charlize Theron, you've got James McAvoy, Great. who's the other agent that she meets up with over there once she gets to Berlin to try to help sort out and get back the, the list of everything. And I think he's a great counterpoint to her because yeah. she's all she's Bowie. She's all yeah. slick. She looks good. She, you know, and he's a disheveled kind of <laughs> wild card of a mess. Yeah. And uh, and and they just really play off each other really well. He's also he's got that big smile and those big eyes, and he almost always looks like he's about to laugh and cry at the same time. Whereas she's all calm and reserved. I mean, I just think they they were a really nice counterbalance for each other. Yeah, they are because she is well. She's like. German era Bowie. Yeah. You know, yeah, just yeah, yeah. very cool like that. And then he is. He's all over the place. In fact, it's very clear that they want you to question his loyalties. Sure. I mean, he's all over the place and he has been there. He's been stationed in Berlin for a long time. So he knows all the ins and outs and he's running all these black market uh, goods that he's selling out of a big warehouse and he's the man over there. But uh, so much so that, yeah, you wonder just where, where are his true loyalties. So some of it you'll be able to you'll be able to see coming, but it is more the style, it's the vibe, and it's the action. And the director is another one that is coming from the world of stunts and yeah. stunt coordination. In fact, I, I believe he worked uncredited on the, John first, Wick. the first John Wick. Yeah, he was a, he was a stunt coordinator, and he, he's an uncredited co-director. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that the two films are kind of being compared. Yeah. Although yeah. I think, so John, well, neither of us are huge fans of John Wick. No. Um, and but I think that the action sequences in Atomic Blonde are more impressive. Oh, I do I too. Mean, from from the the one where she's in the car, yeah, uh, to the one where she's being stalked and she goes through the the uh, screen. Uh, they're showing stalker, which is awesome. Nice job. <laughs> but then obviously the the last one, which is a very lengthy action sequence that's made to look like it's one long take. It's convincing. It's it all really get is. out. It, and even even when you're looking at it and trying to pick out the places right. where they made clever cuts. Still, some of those takes had to be long. Yeah, they did. I mean, they, they couldn't have been as long as this as this scene goes on. There, no. There's no way. But even so, the pieces that they put together are still long takes. Exhausting. And, it's exhausting yeah, to it's, watch. It is impressively yeah. done. And I, I can see why they had the big, you know, the big stand-up in the lobby drawing people's attention to this because it, it's it's pretty darn impressive. But yeah, the director, getting back to the director, David Leach, mm-hmm. um, that's the funny thing about about John Wick. And one of the reasons I, I continue to just be a little baffled by the love for that movie because I remember thinking that for all I was hearing about it, that the action wasn't that impressive. Uh, and this, I totally, totally agree. The, yeah, the action yeah. here is Atomic much Blonde more is, yeah, impressive. It's, it's, it's an amazing looking movie. Yeah. Now, one of the problems, I think we both thought, one of the problems with the movie is a secondary character, a secondary kind of a newbie agent uh, played by Sophia Botella, mm-hmm. who just played the mummy in the disaster that was the mummy. Yeah. And her whole character, you just have to wonder about 
what's her purpose? Yeah. Uh, um, I kind of think we know her much purpose. Kinder yeah. about it than I am. From the first time she's on screen, I'm like. <laughs> Well, it's a thing for a spy. She sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, she And then does. eventually she really just devolves into this mess of a character. I mean, I feel badly for the actress because the, the character is so ludicrously written. Made me want to smack everybody involved. Well, and also you can see in the trailer that they include a little bit of the girl-on-girl on girl girl scene. action, so, right. Like, that's when you start to, to think, okay, what else, what other purpose does this character have here? And... Even so, the the choices that she makes uh, for a super spy are she must be, you know, on the in the training program. Yeah, uh, like Project Bootstrap is that how she got in? Uh, you know, on the Project Dumb as on a the bag team. of rocks. <laughs> yeah. So although her, her character does not do well, but now I want to throw just because just for a second he's got a very small part, but Bill Skarsgård. Of the many, many scars yeah, guards. Yeah, how many are there? They just keep making them in the lab somewhere. Right. Well, he's the important one because uh-huh. he's Pennywise. Right. And that's, that's right. the one we can't wait for. Yeah, it then, comes out next month, and I couldn't be more excited. And I think a new trailer it just today. dropped today. Dropped today. Yeah. And it's awesome. I'll tell you what. I'm, I didn't think I'd be as excited about it as I am. It looks good. Oh, it looks it great. It looks good. Yeah. He, he looks great. He's got a... He's got a somewhat of a small part in here yeah. in this movie but and that's another one of the impressive action sequences the umbrellas all the yeah. umbrella scene the umbrella that's a cool it's a scene very, it's a very, very cool well scene. choreographed and the the umbrella scene itself is not have a lot of action it leads to some action right. but the way that they pull that off with the umbrellas is pretty cool yeah it's it's certainly not perfect by any stretch oh it's, it's very enjoyable and it looks it so cool it i mean is. it's cool it's just a cool movie it is very cool and if it's setting up a a franchise because it's based on a graphic novel, mm-hmm. right? The Coldest City. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a dumb name. Atomic dumb Blonde name. is so much better. That's such a dumb name. It should have been a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> I still can't get over that they didn't call that Edge of Tomorrow Live, Die, Repeat. Remember yeah, how they, stupid title was? Yeah, and then was, you found out that stupid. that was the tagline, Live, Die, Repeat. No, that's not your tagline. That's, that's your, your title. title. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a much better title. For this, Atomic Blonde. So I assume if it's a graphic novel, then, that it has further episodes. So we, we may be seeing this, depending on how much money it makes. But if this is if this is the closest that she gets to playing James Bond, it's pretty good. I mean, it's this is grittier than a James Bond, and it's more, I think it's more outright violent. I don't think you, you even see today's James Bond involved in action sequences like this, like hand-to-hand combat. I mean, he may be flying down the Alps on skis or something like that, but as far as hand-to-hand combat, this this goes really above and beyond, I think. Yeah, there's a great deal of it. I mean, this is more like Jason Bourne hand-to-hand yes, combat. Yes, exactly. You know, although it's it's quirkier, it's more highly stylized, oh, yeah. it's cooler looking, it's definitely not gritty and doesn't even begin to try to be realistic. It's just cool. That's right. It's just cool. Yep, exactly. In so, that 1989 Berlin <laughs> kind of way. And it's, you know, it's... Making 1989 cool is not that no, easy. No, it's tough. I lived there. It was bad. <laughs> and the other wide release movie this week is the latest from Sony Animation, and it's the story of Gene, a multi-expressional emoji, setting out on a journey to become a normal emoji in the Emoji Movie. Welcome to the secret world inside your phone. Woo-hoo! Where emojis like me work and live. Incoming text! We are go for men. Ah, who? Me? Oh, no. What's he doing? He's making the wrong face! What is that? I've got to get this phone fixed. 
This has never happened before. And now Alex has made an appointment to wipe out his phone. If Alex deletes the phone, our whole world gets wiped out. I think we can make things right. We just have to go to a place where no emoji has gone before. The cloud? I know a shortcut through some apps. But no one's ever left our city, and they'll send bots after us. I suppose it was natural after the success of the Lego movie. They're looking for things to make the movies about. <laughs> and uh, this is one I was not looking forward to, but I'm happy to say I was, I guess the, the low expectations made it come out better than I, than I thought it would be. It's, it's certainly not great, but it's clever. And it's, it's TJ Miller is the meh emoji. Uh, and let me first say, we're not users of emojis. I hate them. We don't pretend to no, understand. I, it me, I just I hate when people send them to me. I hate when they're in my text. <laughs> I just hate them. I just hate them. There's probably an emoji for that. There probably uh, is. Because I did find out, for people like us, this movie teaches you a lot about the emojis. Obviously, we know the I thumbs don't... up and we know the poop. There are lots <laughs> of other emojis. Yeah. There's a fried shrimp emoji, uh -huh. which I don't know why you're going to use that, but they have one. <laughs> and... Um, but I will say that when the poop emoji has the voice of Patrick Stewart, that, that's that's genius. It right seems there. right. Yeah, it does. doesn't it seem right? It does seem right. It just classes up idea. the joint, <laughs> and, and they do have some fun with that. Uh, they have some fun with a lot of aspects of not only the poop emoji, but all the other emojis and the whole smartphone phenomenon and the whole computer phenomenon and what it is basically is a knockoff on two great Pixar movies, Toy Story and Inside Out. Brilliant. So, yeah, if you're going to copy some movies, those are good ones to copy. It's and true. these are clear copies, and they're inferior. This is an inferior movie, to be sure, but it, but it is clever. It starts out with a Toy Story vibe that you've got all these apps, the secret world, you know, and that's, that's Pixar's, right up Pixar's alley, yep. a secret world of something. Uh, so you've got a secret world of emojis, and just like the toys, they they all want to be the most used emoji, you know, mm -hmm. or else they get sent to the loser lounge with the old emojis nobody uses anymore. Mm. Probably the ones we would use. No, but uh, <laughs> we wouldn't even use those. So T.J. Miller is the voice of Gene, the meh emoji. And by the way, his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Meh, are voiced by Jennifer Coolidge and Stephen Wright, that's, which are just, that's, that's perfect. perfect. It really is, that's especially perfect. Stephen Wright. Oh, yeah, such especially, a yo, voice, yeah. I don't know exactly. But anyway, so he, he messes up on his first day in the phone. Gene does. Gene does, yeah. And he gets labeled as a malfunction, so then he is targeted for deletion. Uh-oh. Yeah, so then they have to go on the run, and that's when it becomes Inside Out. So with his buddy, uh, High Five, who's voiced by James Corden, who's always a, a treat. Yeah, he you know, is. He, he does really is. pretty much... You a know what? I mean, top to bottom, this voice this yeah, voice, voice cast, cast is pretty is solid. Great. Yeah, so you got James Corden as High Five, and then they go in search of this hacker named Jailbreak, who's voiced by Anna Faris, and she can help get them out of the phone, on the cloud, to freedom. And that is the plan anyway. So that's when it sets the whole inside out. And they're going through the different levels of the phone and they go through different apps and then they have fun with, you know, Instagram and they have fun with YouTube and Facebook and everything like that. So it's very in the now, mm -hmm. you know, it's very current. And so you're, you're definitely going to get a lot of clever chuckles. I had, you know, maybe one or two actual laughs, mm -hmm. but that's the main thing about this movie. It's awful clever. Uh, you do have, as you, as you said, you have some some good voice talent here. Maya Rudolph, um, as and with Patrick Stewart, we mentioned S smaller parts like Sofia Vergara. Um, Rachel Ray plays Spam, which that's hilarious. It's pretty much perfect. Yeah, Sean Hayes. Sean Hayes is the devil emoji, Steve, and, <laughs> and he, 
he has some nice exchanges with poop. So <laughs> that's I just, I right. just want to count how many times you say the word poop. Yeah. Today. Well, one, at one point they call it, they, they do call him turd. So, you know, they have a little variation there, but so that that's the main thing about it. It's, it's clever and not much else. And then it, it goes to selling that, you know, the age old, a message of be yourself. You don't have to fit into this nice little box, like an emoji. You can, you, that's the whole thing with the meh emoji. He stands out because he doesn't just feel meh. He feels all these other feelings, and so he wants to express them. So, you know, these are well-worn themes, and you're going to have a movie from Pixar that usually takes those and expresses them so much better with so much more poignancy sure. than this movie does. And, you know, maybe that's unfair to hold it up to those standards, but that's the territory it's going right. in by its own accord. That's how it's written. Really, the movie amounts to a bunch of clever ideas that are just underdeveloped. So the whole thing, in line with its main character, is pretty much meh. And that's the Emoji Movie. One unlimited release that we, we really couldn't recommend more highly in this singular exploration of legacy, loss, love, and the enormity of existence, a recently deceased white-sheeted ghost returns to his suburban home to try to reconnect with his bereft wife. It's a ghost story. What is it you like about this house so much? History? No place like home. That's a business. We build our legacy piece by piece, and maybe the whole world will remember you, or maybe just a couple of people, but you do what you can to make sure you're still around after you're gone. The first thing to know about this movie is it is not a horror movie yes. at all. No. Uh, and hopefully the trailers will do enough to lead people to that conclusion because I know recently, you know, there's a lot of conversation and a lot of uh, horror fans get upset when they feel like they're being led to believe one kind of a horror film is not the one that they're looking for. And this one, it's called a ghost story. It has a white sheeted ghost, but it's not a horror movie in any way. And it's it's tackling such big existential themes and it's it turns out to be a very sweet irony that it's done through you know personification of a, a basically a child's halloween costume right you know just a sheet with a couple of eyes on it right. but it's it's writer director david lowry who did ain't them body saints love, love 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 it you probably didn't see it probably didn't you see really it. should it was great and he also i just found this out he was the editor on remember upstream color oh yes what a weird but I very cool movie. movie he was the editor on that movie. nice so anyway yeah ain't them body saints and then he took a, a detour a couple of years ago with pete's dragon mm -hmm. the, the live action re and his next redo. movie is peter pan yeah so. i was i was pretty disappointed in pete's dragon but Boy, he's back to form in such a great way. I think it's one of the best movies I've seen this year. But it's going to be one that is polarizing. It introduce, introduces us to a couple. They're only known by their initials, C and M. It's, again, for the same leads he had in Ain't Them Body Saints. It's Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. And they're a loving couple. The, the, the main thing we, we see about them is that they're kind of at odds over moving from their current house. He doesn't want to, and she does. But then not too long after that, he dies in a car accident. And while she has to move on with her life, we see his spirit rise from his body in the form of this white-sheeted ghost and then just begin wandering, not only following her around, but then eventually time traveling, you know, through time and circumstance and into all these different situations that begin to, it, it 
it becomes lyrical. It becomes poetic. Poetic, yes. It really does. It's so beautifully shot, and his camera is very often stationary, where instead of it moves, things come in and out of its frame. And long, elegant takes with just a, a dreamlike atmosphere. Many stretches with little to no dialogue, so much so that it's, it's going to remind you of Terrence Malick in some, in some ways, in, in good ways. Uh, and a lot of the narrative is loose and abstract, but you start to get a feeling for, for where he's going. And, you know, to me, it, it's a movie that you really have to give yourself to. And I did. I mean, I, all the way in. I was all in on, on the concept, so much so that when you finally have this random character, about three-quarters of the way through, a random character has a, a pretty good-sized monologue that becomes, you, you realize, okay, this is the conscience of this movie. And on one hand, it seems a little out of place, like all of a sudden it's, it's telling so much when it didn't before, but I loved it that it didn't come from the two main characters because they are always out of our reach, and I think that is important with the, the theme here of the, the passage of time and the inevitability of death and the search for love and connection throughout all those those themes in your life and and what does it mean to to leave a mark after you're gone you know how do you do that and it's it's really it's really such a deeply felt movie i thought just a just a beautiful beautiful movie and it ends it leads it's in the opening the very opening before anything happens it, there's a quote from the virginia wolf short story a haunted house mm-hmm. And as it goes on, if you know anything about that short story, you can really start to see how this, in, in some ways, is parts of that short story brought to the screen. You can definitely see where it's probably a major inspiration. Uh, and then it leads to a, a sudden, but I thought just a, a glorious climax that is one that you really want to talk about almost immediately after you've seen the movie. And it's one of those that some people are not going to like because it's not wrapped up in a nice red bow. And that ties everything up, but I thought it was just a glorious way to end it, and and a, on a, just a beautiful, beautiful journey of a movie. And again, I thought it was—I think it's one of the best of the year so far. And I would definitely recommend. It's in limited release, but if and when it comes to your area, I wholeheartedly recommend a ghost story. And then another one that's out in limited release, but also simultaneously available on VOD, is called "It Stains the Sands Red." That's nice. a great title. I like that title. That's yeah, it's a great title. Um, and it's it's from the same people who used to be called the Vicious Brothers, and now they just go by Colin Minahan, who is the co-writer director, and then Stuart Ortiz, who's the the other co-writer. So uh, they mellow. They're not vicious anymore. They're not vicious anymore. They're just dudes. <laughs> the dudes. And what I like about this movie in particular is is that it takes a, a story structure that is so specifically male, which is basically you know a journey toward redemption. It's very with masculine zombies. with zombies. Uh, and they make it a very female story. So the lead is a Vegas stripper, and she and her low-life thug of a boyfriend are fleeing Vegas during the zombie apocalypse to make it to an airstrip to join other lowlifes to fly to an island off Mexico. Clearly, that's never going to happen because it's a right. zombie movie. Sure. Right? And uh, and they run off the side of the road. They're all coked up. And then one one lone zombie sort of catches her scent and she's got 30 miles she's got to walk through the desert to get to this airstrip before they leave without her and it's just it's a, it's a Romero-esque zombie it's a very slow moving <laughs> but relentless relentless zombie following her following her like 8 feet behind she's shouting things at him she's you know it's and it's very interesting the way they build it and it's fun 
and it reminds you the whole time. It's got that sort of Tom Hanks, Wilson, the volleyball vibe <laughs> about it, you know? Uh, she calls him Smalls, which is funny as well. That is funny. Um, her name is Brittany Allen, who plays the lead, and she does a great job. She does a great job. She's funny. She's interesting. It, it's it's scary when it needs to be. I mean, it takes an unfortunate detour toward the end. Something that always bothers me in films where a female character has to make some bad, strong decisions. There, it's always motivated by a maternal, maternal instinct, instinct, which yeah. I, I I hate that cliche. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and I'm sorry that they go that direction with this, but on the whole, it's a it's a very interesting. It's hard to make an interesting zombie movie anymore. Yeah, and I think they've done it with this and one that feels fresh. Uh, yes, exactly, yeah. mm-hmm. exactly. So so I recommend it, especially if you're a zombie fan and maybe you're kind of. Missing the George Romero zombies after the yeah, tragedy. So that's right. So that's one not only on home video, but also in limited release in theaters. And another one that comes out this week on home video is Ghost in the Shell, the live action remake starring Scarlett Johansson as Major. And this is another one where I remember before we saw this movie, we made sure to rewatch the original Ghost in the Shell and I think we're in agreement. We just don't see the love. I mean, no, I know it's so overrated. I know there's so much love for that anime version of Ghost in the Shell, but we we didn't see it. So all the way around, even though this version is not a great movie, no, it's an upgrade from the anime version. I like a lot of anime. I like Miyazaki style anime. Right. I I, I I get so bothered by sort of the I don't want to ogle naked drawings. I don't want to. And that's that's to me far too much of what happens in the yeah. the original Ghost in the Shell. In the in the uh, live action version, she's not just needlessly naked with cute knee socks on because nobody would fight crime like that, George. That's <laughs> she's, right. She's a cyborg. That's not to <laughs> that's not to sidestep the whitewashing angle of exactly. the of the of the casting right you know guilty there yes but on a on a movie level it's better the dialogue is better uh the storyline is less convoluted yes and and the other thing i thought about the original for all i know it has a vision it was heralded for its vision i thought a lot of it was borrowed Uh, i I really did i thought so So, too but but uh, the other thing that that i do like about the uh live action version is how affectionate it is toward the animated original. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, the, the way individual characters look, you know, and and certain, even if it's bad dialogue, certain dialogue, memorable dialogue, uh, is pulled directly from the animated version. So if you're a huge fan of the animated version, I think that you might be pleasantly surprised by this. I just, it was a bomb. I mean, yeah, it was just a it was. bomb. It was, and certainly not a great movie, but no. I thought it was. I thought it was okay, and that's the live action version of Ghost in the Shell. One that was not a bomb, and that just shocked me, was the <laughs> boss baby. Um, Alec Baldwin is the boss baby. I just, when I saw it, I remember thinking to myself, I don't even know who the audience is for this film because it's not children, you know, <laughs> and it's not adults. But uh, that's just <laughs> Somebody me. went to see yeah, it. Yeah, Alec Baldwin plays a baby who is sent to Earth because puppies are about to become more popular than babies. And so he's got to come to Earth and strategize, brainstorm, ideate, <laughs> and uh, and try to make sure that babies are more popular than than puppies. And it's a bizarre and it's a bizarre storyline when the basis of the story is basically right: a boy who's been the only child suddenly has a baby brother mm-hmm. and believes his parents don't love him anymore. That's the actual story, and then all of this other convoluted boss baby stuff is sort of layered onto it and and nonsensically as far as i could tell plus it's a funny way to take the the original book 
had a very understandable premise of like when there's a new baby in the house, that baby is the boss Becomes because the boss. it demands exactly. so much attention. Exactly. But then it, to then flesh it out with this was a bit quizzical. Oh my God, it really was. It's so convoluted. It's so bizarre what this, where the story goes. But you know what? People loved it. They did. Glenn Baby, Glenn Ross. <laughs> That's it. And the other one out on home video this week is a story of a single man raising his child prodigy niece, and it's called Gifted. So it's Captain America, right? Chris um, Evans. Chris Evans, and he plays the uncle of this little girl who's a child prodigy, whose mother had been a genius, his right. sister, and she had killed herself. And so he's been raising this little girl, and he finally decides that she needs to start public school. So he works on a fishing boat, and Jenny Slate is the teacher that his, his niece, played by McKenna Grace, she's great. And Jenny Slate recognizes that this little girl, this seven-year-old girl, is considerably smarter than she is or than any of the other teachers in the school. Right. So, so she thinks she's being helpful, and she tries to get the little girl into a school for the gifted, which is exactly what her uncle, played by Chris Evans, doesn't right. want to see happen. Right, right. And then what winds up happening is the grandma gets wind of the fact that this granddaughter, who she's never had a single thing to do with, is probably as gifted as her daughter, and so then she wants to take us. And the grandma is played by Lindsay Duncan, yeah. who is, who's great. She's, she's always great. She's always great. Dolphin Blue in Reflecting Skin. That's yeah, the first time I saw her. Yeah, she's, she's great. always great. So, you know, it ends up being uh, a, a bit of a schmaltzy sort of Kramer versus Kramer kind of a custody battle and what's the best thing for the kids. But it's more clever than I would have given it credit for before I went to see it. I was afraid it was going to be incredibly heavy-handed and schmaltzy. And Chris Evans is great. Jenny Slate is great. And I'm telling you, this little girl, McKenna Grace is her name, who plays the, the, the gifted yeah. daughter. She's wonderful. And I think any of the scenes, in particular with Chris Evans and Lindsay Duncan, with the, 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 the yeah. mother, and da- mother and son, yeah. who are obviously estranged at this point, they just do a great job together to, to display this strained but honest love that this mother and son have for each other. And th- their scenes together are really remarkable. It's not a great movie, but it's a nice movie. And, it, and it's better than probably it should have been. So the big recommendation this week in the theaters, if you can find it, is A Ghost Story. Atomic Blonde is worth seeing. Yep. And uh, <laughs> next week, boy, we, we look forward to, but I don't know. It's I mean, I do look forward to seeing Detroit. It's going to be a tough watch, I know. But be. looking at some of the early returns, it apparently is just fantastic. Yeah, not a surprise. Catherine not a Bigelow surprise. That's back right. to the screen. Also, yeah. The Dark Tower. Uh, a little worried King. about that one. Based on the quality of the movie poster. <laughs> yeah. And also Halle Berry in Kidnapped. That's, I'm worried about that one because that yeah. was supposed to come out like six months ago and just yeah. keeps getting Usually pushed, a bad so, sign. Yeah. But we'll see. That yeah. is next week. Uh, let us know what you thought about any of these movies. We love to keep the conversation going all the time, anytime on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf. That's M A D D. W-O-L-F, and Mad Wolf Columbus is our home on Facebook, and of course, the home for all of our written reviews and other shenanigans, and where you can find our other podcast dealing specifically with the horror genre called Fright Club. You can find all that on our main website, which is madwolf.com. So, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and madwolf.com, and until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.